0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. We've got three interesting new movies to tell you about this week, which include two of the biggest stars in the world, figuratively and literally. Plus,
1: I'm Jeff Braun. I saw one of the best movies of the year this week and one of the
0: worst. And a really cool time travel show is back for more. And I finally got around to watching one of Jeff's favorites this week. And I'm sad to say I was kind of bored and might need another crack at it. But let's start with the new movies, because I'm super excited about this first one. It's a movie from Japan. Sounds chaotic. What are they all worried about? Did I just hear what I thought I heard? Godzilla. Minus one. Yes, it's Godzilla minus one. So the reason I'm excited about this, I mean, there's been lots of Godzilla in recent years, but this has nothing to do with the American movies from recent years. It has nothing to do with the spin-off television show that's on Apple right now, Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which is a cool show, by the way. This is the first Godzilla movie from Toho since 2016's Shin Godzilla. And the new one... Minus One is set in post-World War II Japan, whose economic state has been reduced to zero, and then Godzilla shows up and plunges the country into a negative state as he just basically lays waste to all in his path. It looks fantastic. It's getting almost unanimously positive reviews. It's at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And by the way, Godzilla Minus One was released theatrically in Japan on November 3rd. The same Japanese release date as the original... 1954 movie. So that was as a celebration of the franchise's seventieth anniversary. But Godzilla, he would be the uh, the the literal biggest star in the world that I was referring to because you know, he's big, giant.
1: I rewatched the second biggest star in the world this week, uh, Kong Skull Island. Part oh, yeah? Of the new Godzilla kind of world there in the Monarch series and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, I should rewatch all these movies. And wanted to start with Kong, because even though it came out second, but I think it's my favorite.
0: Yeah. No, that, that Kong skull, skull Island was... Really, really good, and when I watched it the second time, I think I enjoyed it even more than I did the first time, and uh, I really liked it the first time out, so, and I'm looking forward to the, 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 I've mostly enjoyed these movies, I found the second one, Godzilla King of the Monsters, was okay,
1: yeah and i can't remember that first godzilla one. i'm watching that next but okay. I, but i can't recall. i saw that one in, in theaters in 2014 so that's almost 10 years ago already i don't recall anything specific from that movie i rec- um why did re-
0: you watch kong skull island by the way
1: what's that you said you rewatched kong skull i island? Got, it, got it on blu-ray ah okay got them all on blu-ray Atta um boy. the 1998 godzilla remember that yeah i skipped school to go watch that like and I don't mean high school, I skipped college classes to go watch that the day it came out for some reason, and boy, that was uh, turned out not to be the best Godzilla movie of all time. That was a Jurassic Park wannabe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even the, even their trailer. They did have a pretty clever teaser trailer. Yeah. Remember that where they the, were showing the, the, the skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and then Godzilla's foot comes through the ceiling and stomps
1: on it? And that's awesome. Yeah, they had really good marketing around that movie and there's, you know, it's there's some 90s stuff in it that's kind of Nostalgic still to watch, but that's not a good one.
0: Yeah, and they just there's just something mystical. I don't know. He just has a mystique. Uh, all these classic monsters, and this one kind of takes us back because in the American ones, he's not happy, but he's not really portrayed as uh, angry or, or out to get us. So like he he's just kind of more like he wants to be left alone, and he wants to. I mean, he has to come through pick a fight from time to time but this one takes us back to like angry Godzilla he's here to essentially get revenge on humanity for everything they did to screw up the planet and it looks like a lot of fun and again getting great reviews and just something about watching monsters destroy things I don't seem to get bored of it. I just rewatched Pacific Rim for like the 15th time and loved every second of it. So I can not... And it's funny too, because that, that's on Netflix, Pacific Rim. I put it on and then I remember, oh yeah, I own this on 4K Blu-ray. So <laughs> why am I not putting in it's the physical that lazy media?
1: Because then you would have had to get up, go get the disc, bend over and stick it in the thing and yada, 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 away you go, right? Yeah. It's a time thing. I <laughs> do that all the time. And it's sad, especially if you've purchased uh, blu-ray or whatever it's like i spent 30 bucks on that thing i've watched it twice on netflix in the last year
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the new movies out this week godzilla minus one also new this week
1: silent night bring it december 1st
0: silent night a revenge action movie from legendary director John Woo. And here's the twist. And you may have noticed no dialogue in that clip other than the guy at the end saying, Silent Night. The movie is dialogue free. So this is about a tormented father who watches his young, his young son die when he was caught in a gang's crossfire on Christmas Eve. So he ends up sustaining a wound that costs him his voice and he makes vengeance his life's mission and embarks on a punishing training regimen in order to avenge his son's death. The lead actor here is uh, Joel Kinnaman, but I forgot, I, I saw the trailer for this a couple of months ago and thought that looks fun. John Woo. Yeah. I haven't seen anything of his for a while, but I figured he would have no dialogue didn't know the whole thing has no dialogue.
1: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I don't know. John Woo apparently hasn't made a movie in like 17 years, aside from maybe one or two in uh, Japan, but not for like, you know, North America, Hollywood kind of movie. So it's a return for him, the guy that brought us uh, Face Off and Hard Target, which is Hard Target, the best Van Damme movie.
0: It's up there. Oh, my favorite is always going to be Bloodsport. Okay. That's, oh, that's yeah. regardless of quality. It's just, it's very, uh, it's a sentimental kind of thing.
1: I've got a soft spot for uh, Sudden Death, the oh, one yeah? where he... Ends up as the Pittsburgh Penguins goalie during a playoff game, game seven of the Stanley Cup Final. As it turns out, <laughs> in the, at the old uh, Mellon Carnegie Arena, or whatever that Pittsburgh arena was, where the roof opens up. Yeah, which came
0: in handy because they, they wanted to crash a helicopter on the ice. Did he end up having to do the splits on the ice?
1: Yeah, while butterfly saves or something. I can't remember. That's a good. Co- <laughs> That's a good question because he almost always does the splits, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I know he fights the mascot, which is pretty funny.
0: <laughs> but yeah, John Woo—he is responsible for some of the coolest action that's ever been on a film. And this one—it just looks like a simple revenge action movie with like car crashes and, and stuff. Like a, just a kind of a bare bones action movie with a unique twist. It's getting pretty decent reviews. The last time I checked, was at sixty four percent. But I'm wondering if we're going to see more of this kind of thing because. I know a quiet place. Those movies aren't entirely dialogue free, but they're largely dialogue free. But we had that movie that came out a couple of months back on Disney Plus—that uh, Alien one, "No One Will Save You." Yes,
1: that which was were
0: like one line of dialogue in the whole movie. Right?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's a thing, perhaps that it just. Plays better internationally, then, right? Yeah. Because then you, it's, oh, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you don't speak English or not, you can still watch this movie.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's actually a really good point, And that's something that all of these content creators now are taking into account when they, they have like that, that show. Um, I can't remember, was it 1812 or 1890? I don't know. It had one of the Taylor it, Sheridan <laughs> cowboy shows. No, it was, uh, oh, <laughs> that's right. No, it was the, that, that one that's, uh, set back in the late, I think it was the late 1800s and on a ship, and it had people, like they, there was five or six different spoken languages on screen, hmm. it's significant as well, like not just one line here and one line right. there, and so they're they're doing a lot of this sort of cross-pollination, as it were, to make things more internationally appealing, and yeah, that's a great point. If you got no dialogue, then there's no problem. Also, I'm glad this movie's coming out, Silent Night, because it reminded me, I have yet to watch Violent Night. The one about Santa who goes on a revenge spree <laughs> with uh, David Harbour as Santa Claus. Have
1: you watched that yet? I have not watched that. I'm I'm still, it's one of my favorites, but like Bad Santa is like, ooh, the R-rated Christmas movie, right? With uh, the guy dressed as Santa Claus but a bunch of foul language and stuff. And then adding all this increasing violence to Christmas movies is... An interesting trend, to say the least.
0: (laughs) And uh, it was... Oh, 1899 was the name of the show, by the way. But, uh, yeah, so that's on Crave, if you want to watch Violent Night. And we got one more new one to tell you about. Let's tell you about it in just a moment. And then we're going to (laughs) hear... Is, are, we, are we doing the worst movie? So you watch one of the worst movies of the year? Or are yeah. We're doing, we doing that one next? Yeah, yeah, Okay, can't wait to hear what it is. <laughs> and I see a word I haven't seen in a while in Jeff's script. We'll explain next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, Jeff is going to tell you about the bad movie that he watched this week. But first, we just got to tell you about the third new movie that's out this week. We already touched on Godzilla Minus One. We touched on Silent Night, which is a dialogue-free revenge action film and now a month and a half after taylor swift the eras tour hit the big screen we have another concert movie from another one of the world's biggest names in music it's renaissance a film by beyonce when i am performing i am nothing but free
1: is it recording
0: The goal for this tour was to create a place where everyone is free and no one is judged. You, you need me. So Renaissance, a film by Beyoncé, is described as accentuating the journey of Renaissance World Tour from its inception to the opening in Stockholm, Sweden, to the finale in Kansas City, Missouri. It is about Beyonce's intention, hard work, involvement, in every aspect of the, the production, her creative mind and purpose to create her legacy and master her craft, received with extraordinary Acclaim Beyonce's Renaissance World Tour created a sanctuary for freedom and shared joy for more than 2.7 million fans. So, whereas Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour movie was just one show, like it was, they just performed the final show of her American tour in Inglewood, and that's it. No interviews or whatever. Whereas this kind of takes us all over the place. And as we heard there, there are interviews mixed in. So, it's a different kind of movie experience but somehow it ends up with the same runtime of two hours and 48 minutes which is kind of wacky and it's getting like i said it's getting great reviews so the early reviews are unanimous it's at 100 on rotten tomatoes but only a handful of reviews have come in but i doubt we're gonna see a lot of negative reviews for this one and just as far as box office goes taylor swift her movie has made 248.9 million dollars thus far. Curious to see how close Beyoncé gets to that. So those are the three new movies this weekend. Jeff, what caught your attention?
1: Ah, uh, What caught my attention was a big fat picture of Gerard Butler on my screen when I clicked on Prime Video, so I went back to the Butlerverse this week for Butler's new movie on Prime. It's called Mission Kandahar. What's the job? We destroy their whole nuclear program. Oh my God blood stretch and point just across the Afghan border we have to get to Kandahar
0: there will be no sanctuary for you no one is coming to rescue us to go home get down
1: Kandahar rated R Uh, Right there. It's just called Kandahar and that clip from earlier this year was also supposed to come out in June, but now it's called Mission Kandahar for some reason and uh, it's available on Prime Video. And I got excited a couple of weeks back when that algorithm pumped this into my feed because I guess it knows I like the G-Butts. But sadly, the movie is a dud. It's too bad. Butler was on a pretty good run dating back to 2017 uh, with the ridiculous and ridiculously entertaining movie Geostorm. One of my faves. He's also made Den of Thieves, Hunter Killer, Angel Has Fallen, Greenland, Cop Shop, Last Seen Alive, Plane, and a couple of How to Train Your Dragon movies all in the last six years. Uh, Movies like Hunter Killer or Last Seen Alive will never be remembered. They were kind of adequate though and I'll leave it on while I clean the house kind of way but some of those other movies are actually really good or really entertaining at the very least and he's currently in various stages of development on sequels to the Has Fallen series Greenland and Den of Thieves so Gerard Butler is not hurting for work but Mission Kandahar is something he probably should have told his agent uh, just say no thanks not only is the movie not great he himself barely even registers as a character he plays a guy named Tom Harris a freelance CIA operator working in the middle east he blows up a nuclear facility in iran to start the movie and then finds himself on the run he's accompanied by a translator he's trying to protect because he lost another translator years prior uh the movie is two hours long but the first whole 45 minutes is just the setup Uh, aside from that initial blowing up of the nuclear facility everything else is just people talking for the longest time it's complex it's complicated and there aren't any subtitles to help um when they speak non-english languages the subtitles are baked into the movie but you can't turn on the the subtitles for the english stuff and that was a bit of a problem for me because there are a bunch of different government terrorists and civilian entities all like to help or kill butler and his friend and i was having trouble following it the subtitle set definitely would have helped but uh, at least in the to get all the details but the good news, I guess, is that in a broad sense, it was kind of easy because pretty much everybody was out to kill them. So whoever they came across, it was going to be bad news one way or another. So it's just this chase movie with some obstacles along the way. They're trying to get from Herat, Afghanistan to Kandahar, which is about 400 miles. A plane is waiting there to take them to safety. But it's boring. I watched it last night. I'm having trouble recalling specifics even now. The characters were, you know, somewhere between boring and non-existent, like I said. The action was not good. It wasn't even as interesting as you would see in a 20 year old episode of alias there was one cool scene where butler had to take on this attack helicopter at night that was that was awesome to watch but otherwise it was kind of a snooze fest which is too bad because i like the premise there's a really good smart action movie to be made with all those ingredients, but the finished product here is severely undercooked. If it were a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, he doesn't make a lot of movies, so it'd be a bit more upsetting. Gerard Butler's always working, so if, uh, you know, this is his second movie this year, he's got nine more in the pipeline. So if he whiffs on a couple, it's no big deal. This one is unfortunately a stinker. Two couch cushions out of five for Mission Kandahar available on Prime Video.
0: It is known as Mission Kandahar in Canada, and by the looks of it, in Canada alone. Everywhere else, it's called Kandahar.
1: I wonder if there's some other movie, maybe a documentary or something called Kandahar. Yeah. From Canada that they didn't want to get mixed up with.
0: I don't know. Kind of like, remember the, how they had to call themselves Bush X yeah, in Canada for a right. few years? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's the bad movie. Up next, we'll hear about the good one. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Brett. Mission Kandahar, two couch cushions out of five for the new Jerry Butler movie. That was the bad movie I saw this week, the good movie I saw this week. It's one of the best-reviewed movies of the year. It's a delight. It's Paul Giamatti starring in The Holdovers. The Holdovers. There'll be just one boy holding over this Christmas. Please, pretend to be a human being. Mr. Hunnam isn't easy to like. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? I could have been spending the rest of my vacation reading mystery novels. But the New York Times, Vanity Fair, Entertainment Weekly, and top critics everywhere are falling in love with the holdovers you just earned yourself a
0: detention being here with you is only one big detention son of a that's another detention
1: director alexander payne reunites with paul giamatti for the first time since sideways and the result is pure movie magic that was just lovely
0: is that an actual
1: compliment i think you're erratic and belligerent are you trying to look down my shirt No. (laughs) yes but you've got time to turn things around I was going to tell you the same thing. (laughs) The Holdover. The Holdovers is a new movie from Alexander Payne, a director who has hit some pretty high highs in years past and had some interesting swings and misses. His hits have included movies like Election with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick, About Schmidt with Jack Nicholson, The Descendants with George Clooney, and Sideways with Paul Giamatti. Sideways maybe his most celebrated movie so far, so it's not surprising he's reteamed with Giamatti. Nebraska was another great movie from Payne. It came after The Descendants, and despite awards and that sort of thing, neither of those two were terribly popular popular in the end. I've heard a lot of people say The Descendants is their least favorite Clooney movie for example. And Payne's last movie was Downsizing with Matt Damon a movie that was lambasted by critics and audiences alike. I've still never seen that one but I got excited when the early word on his new movie was great and after watching it this week I can confirm it's pretty great. It's at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 90% audience score. The Holdovers is a dramedy set in 1970 at a New England boarding school about a teacher and a student at that school who are stuck with each other over the Christmas holidays. Uh, It's weirdly going to be a movie that takes place over Christmas that no one's really going to call a Christmas movie, I don't think. So, at this fictional boarding school in New England, the staff and students all scurry back home for the holidays. Every year, though, there are a handful of students who cannot go home for one reason or another and one unlucky teacher uh, who has their Christmas cancelled so they can babysit those students, aka the holdovers. This year, it's Paul Hunnam, played by Giamatti. He's not thrilled about it, but he didn't have any other plans, so it's Really not that big a deal to him. He's very curmudgeonly. He's a very hard teacher. All the kids hate him. Most of the staff hates him too, but it doesn't really Bother him. He doesn't care. He mostly just wants to be left alone to read by himself. He's a guy who is checked out of life and is mostly just miserable. While he is in charge of the holdovers, he is not the only adult around. There's a custodian who pops in and out of the movie from time to time. And there's Mary, the head of the cafeteria staff. She's staying on as well to cook for Paul and the kids. She's played by Divine Joy Randolph, who is fantastic in this. Uh, she's in Only Murders in the Building, where she plays the put upon detective. Um, she's also checked out on life, this Mary character, but for different reasons. We learn at the beginning that she had a son who died in Vietnam in the past year, and as you can expect, the grief of that has kind of taken over her life. Although it is worth noting that despite the tragic turn her life has taken, she still has a much nicer disposition than uh, Paul Giamatti's character, Paul. And then there's the main kid, Tully, played by a guy named Dominic Sessa. You've never heard of him before because this is his very first ever role acting in anything he literally has this one credit on IMDB and he has to carry a lot of the movie and the good news is he's a really good actor very impressive for a first role uh this kid's a bit of a jerk i mean in the way that all teenage boys kind of are because you know they make bad decisions that uh, come off as mean sometimes. Tully's a little meaner than that, though, a lot of the time, but he also has a sweet side, and he's just clearly got a lot of different things going on inside his head and his heart all at the same time. The movie, like I said, unfolds over the Christmas break, and as it goes along, the characters learn about each other, as do we, the audience, and we come to learn why these sort of lost souls came to be the way they are and get a glimpse of how they may move forward. The pace of the movie is maybe best described as laid back. Not that it's boring, but it doesn't rush around from scene to scene it's it's very a comforting and relaxing watch even though Giamatti and the kid do a lot of yelling at each other it's got a few good laughs but I think the drama is more uh, impressive and at the top of this than the comedy is I would say um, it checks a bunch of boxes I like I like movies set in winter I like movies set in boarding schools or colleges I like movies set in rural New England so this is a great movie for that it would actually be a good double feature with the uh, Michael Douglas Toby Maguire movie Wonder Boys which also crosses off all those same boxes Paul Giamatti, meantime, apparently one of the favorites to win the Oscar this year, but everyone said that when sideways came out and he wasn't even nominated. So who knows? That was nearly 20 years ago and he's done two decades of terrific work in the meantime. So the idea of a makeup Oscar or a career Oscar for Paul Giamatti I don't think is far-fetched at all. Uh, I think it would be weird for him to actually, you know, finish his career whenever he does without one. So uh, he should definitely get some recognition for this performance. I think a lot of them should. A lot of the people involved in the movie were going to get recognition, I would expect. Mostly, I hope people watch it at some point. It is still in theaters. Uh, It's not going to be on six screens at every multiplex, anything like that, but it is out there. And it is available at home already, too, you know, in that $25 rental phase, but that price will come down soon enough. When you get a chance, I highly recommend it. Four and a half coach cushions out of five for The Holdovers, Brett.
0: All right. A splendid review, a glowing Mm -hmm. review for The Holdovers. Now I really want to see that movie. I I was in my, like, take it or leave it pile, but now it's firmly in the take it (laughs) pile. We just got to tell you about a couple of other things that have popped up on our radar. One thing that is landing on Disney Plus this weekend. What are you
1: the saddle get back the dial could change the course of history tyson your sheep i've been
0: looking for this all my life ready pg 13 indiana jones and the dial of destiny one of the i would say bigger disappointments of the year in terms of its box office it made one hundred and seventy four million domestic and uh, worldwide total three hundred and eighty three point nine million dollars which for most movies that's pretty good yeah but when you when it costs three hundred million dollars to make or whatever it costs nope. that's not good they would have <laughs> needed to make a, at least double that and it got Pretty you know, lots of not great reviews. It was about 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. We enjoyed it, but <laughs> I I, liked we, it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. Yeah,
1: and I think I'm excited to rewatch it this weekend. I've been wanting to watch it a second time ever since I saw it the first time, so I'll be curious to see if I'll like it more or maybe like it less after the second view. And I suspect I'll probably like it more. I mean, I like crystal skull more and more yep. every time I see that one. So why not this one too? Yeah, the box office the box office story for twenty twenty three is just going to be weird in general because this didn't hit the heights. Mission Impossible didn't hit the heights. Lord knows the Marvel movies didn't hit the heights. Yeah. The Fast and the Furious didn't hit the heights, but then you got monster hits like Barbie and Oppenheimer. So it's, those are things you would not have predicted uh, January 1st,
0: 2023. Yeah, but I'm 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 kind of excited to check it out again. I don't yeah. know that I'm in a rush to to put it on, but uh, maybe, maybe this weekend, I don't know. And I also wanted to just quickly tell you about this because it's a show that surprised me this past week by returning. It's The Lazarus Project, Season 2. I had no idea when it was coming. I knew it was coming. But, uh, hey, I was happy to be caught off guard and see that on my PVR. What is actually happening right now? We're stuck in an infinite time loop of three weeks. The world will keep being destroyed for, in theory, infinity. Oh,
1: for God's sake, George. Sorry. Sorry. Rebrov believes that someone has invented a true time machine. The tunnels form a high-velocity track so that the subject can reach the right speed.
0: I mean, it's back to the future.
1: Uh, I haven't seen it.
0: My mum's seen it. She hasn't seen anything. All right, so maybe none of that made sense, because if you haven't seen season one, well... How do you know what's going to happen in season two? So I don't really want to spoil everything specifically here. But the, the setup for the first season is our main character, George. He ends up becoming a Lazarus agent. And this is an organization that has the ability to reset time to prevent catastrophic world-ending geopolitical situations like a bomb like a nuclear bomb going off they can push the reset button but they they can't do it for things like natural disasters it has to be like a unless it's a real bad disaster i guess but it has to be like world threatening and when something happens to someone he loves he's now faced with the moral dilemma do i reset the timeline to get this person back And so we deal with that whole situation in the first season. And now in this second season, as you heard, they're in a loop. They're in a time loop, an infinite time loop for three days. So what what do you do during that time frame? So the first episode was a lot of cool. And I'll just read this synopsis here. When the world locks into a never-ending time loop that will ultimately end with the planet's complete extinction... The Lazarus team must race against time to find a solution before humanity is wiped out forever. Among their number is Resolute Lazarus Agent George, who's been left in disgrace after betraying the organization in the name of love. And uh, this is a BAFTA winning show. And they say it's a timely and affecting exploration of the desire to take charge of your own fate. So uh, yeah, the first season asks all kinds of great questions about human nature. I really enjoyed it. So the show airs Tuesdays on Showcase and all the previous episodes can be watched through the global app. Up next, Jeff wants to talk. He wants to turn it up to 11. And I just got to quickly weigh in on one of his favorites, which I'm sad I didn't like all that much. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Coach Potatoes, I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and big news this week for fans of the 1984 mockumentary comedy classic, this is Spinal Tap. If you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to 11, look, right across the board, oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, 11, and then amps then go
0: up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder?
1: Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most, most blokes are going to be playing at 10, you're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up, you're on 10 on your guitar, where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly.
0: What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know well, what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder, and make 10 be the top number, and make that a little louder.
1: These go to 11. Director Rob Reiner, who we heard in the clip speaking with Spinal Tap's Nigel Tufnell, told the podcast this week that filming would begin in February on a sequel to This Is Spinal Tap. He confirmed everybody would be back, so that's Christopher Guest as Nigel Tufnell, Michael McKean as David St. Hubbins, and Harry Shearer as Derek Smalls. No word on who their drummer currently is. There's a slot there that changes hands on a regular basis. The original Spinal Tap movie, one of the best comedies of all time. Uh, rock bands will tell you that even though it's making fun of them, it's also pretty spot on, especially the scene in Cleveland where they're backstage and get lost, can't find their way to the stage. Reiner will return as mockumentary filmmaker Marty DeBergi in the new film, and he says they've lined up some cool cameos with Paul McCartney, Elton John, and Garth Brooks. I'm guessing a lot of musicians will be trying to get in on the fun. Normally, I'd be a little wary of a sequel this late in the game, but come on. For one thing, Top Gun Maverick showed us it can be done. It can be done very well. And uh, for another, these guys are, I think, just too talented for it to really suck. It might not be as good as the original. It would be a very hard uh, hill to climb. But I feel pretty comfortable thinking it'll be worthwhile whatever they cook up there. The DVD for that original movie, by the way, remains one of my favorites. There's a feature-length commentary starring the band in character, and then there's a full movie's worth of really funny deleted scenes that are hysterical. So anyways, if they're filming the sequel starting in February, it might see the light of day in a year or so, and I can't wait. Let's talk about your reviews uh,
0: a little bit regarding intravenous to Milo. This tasteless cover is a good indication of the lack of musical invention within.
1: That's nitpicking, isn't it?
0: <laughs> the gospel according to Spinal Tap, this pretentious, ponderous collection of religious rock psalms huh. is enough to prompt the question, what day did the Lord create Spinal Tap, and couldn't he have rested on that day too? I've heard that one. Uh, no, that's good amazing. one. That's a good one. Yeah. The review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review. Just said, <laughs> sandwich. Um
1: Where'd they print, print that? that? why yeah, they print that? That's, that's not you real. That's you it. can't print that.
0: Man, I haven't seen that movie in years. I gotta watch that again. But I did watch something that I've been meaning to get around to since 2021. Jeff loved it that year. It's this.
1: You need to face your fears. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. The Emperor asks
0: us to bring peace House Atreides accepts! Kill them all. A great man doesn't seek to leave. He's called to it. Dune, rated PG-13. So, I watched Dune at long last. Nice, but you didn't like it. Nominated for Best Picture, you're correct, in 2021? I believe so. Okay, yeah, I finally got around to it because, like, you... We got a copy of the Blu-ray, and you said you should watch it before you bring it in, and I just brought it in to you. And then it was on Crave, and now it's on Netflix, but I got a notice that it's leaving Netflix on December 9th, I think, was the date. So I've been been kicking that can down the road, and I finally watched it, and uh, I don't want to say I just straight up didn't like it. But I was bored. I found myself bored. It's like, what, two and a half hour movie? Sure. Or so? And I was just, I don't know. Maybe it was, it's one of those things where I, I always feel like I got to acknowledge when something's up. And in this particular case, I watched it on a night where it was not. Like, I got sick over the weekend, and I just had a bit of a chest infection, so maybe I was grumpy because of that, <laughs> but I figured it would be a good movie to just hunker down yeah. and watch, but I was bored, and honestly, and this is going to sound so stupid, because it's right there in the name of the movie,
1: Dune. Too much sand?
0: The setting was so bleak and yeah. boring, and I, I just, I couldn't, I I, I know it's <laughs> sand, but that's the, the story. But I just, I needed some color. I don't know. I, I had lots of innovative stuff, and the visuals were cool, and the sandworm looked neat and all that. But I was just bored, man.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I think I liked it more the second time I saw it. I remember I wasn't bored the first time. I think I was confused the first time because just the jeff brown thing is was like i don't know who are these people what are they saying atreides is that his name just <laughs> name just uh when you get dealt 100 names and all the world building that goes with this sort of thing that overwhelmed me i think the first time so i liked it a lot more the second time but i don't know if you'll like it a lot more the second time if boredom was the reason
0: dune part two comes out in march i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother